Welcome back to the Canary in a Coal Mine podcast. I'm your host, Ari Hoffman. Breaking news as we start off today. Just in from the Seattle Times, I'm reading this as I was getting ready to record. The Seattle City Council has shelved the controversial Amazon tax. Now, for what this means for all of you, let's explain this. Let's start from the beginning. Two years ago, Kashama Sawant, the Marxist on the Seattle City Council, had an idea that she was going to punish businesses for being successful by taxing them for every employee they had. She really hates Amazon, even though she has an Amazon Prime account, even though she was selling her book, which has yet to actually be released or written on Amazon. She hates them. They're terrible. They're evil. Jeff Bezos is an evil human being. He's brought wealth and prosperity and jobs and built up Lake Union in Seattle. Horrible human being. So she was going to punish them. And the idea was that the money was going to go towards affordable housing and solving Seattle's homeless crisis. Just so you know, about a billion dollars is spent annually when you factor in everything that's going on on Seattle's homeless crisis and has only gotten worse since they declared a state of emergency over 10 years ago. Now, this thing went down in flames after the Seattle City Council approved it. Citizens went out, like myself, and got people to sign a referendum to repeal the thing and judge it at the ballot box. And they repealed it before it could go to the ballot box. That's what happened. Fast forward two years now, Seattle City Council is overwhelmingly socialist, and they thought they had another chance at this. But then came the coronavirus. So they said, instead of this thing helping the homeless this time, it's going to help coronavirus, and we're going to sneak in this Green New Deal stuff, and maybe we'll give something to the homeless. Well, as anybody who studies economics or knows anything about business knows, the best thing to do to get out of an incoming economic recession is to tax everybody. Yes, that makes perfect, perfect sense. Something else they were doing was they knew they'd lose at the ballot box, so they were sneaking it in under the mayor's executive orders on the coronavirus crisis. Now, what this means, and I actually discovered this from SEC Insight, which is an interesting Twitter page, which I follow for everything for the Seattle City Council. They have great insight. The rest of their stuff, I'm not so hot on, but the stuff with the Seattle City Council is beyond reproach. It is some of the best stuff out there, if not the best. So what was interesting was they made an interesting point. If it's under the Seattle City, if it's under the mayor's emergency proposal, that means the mayor can veto it and they can't override the veto. So the fact that this thing was shelved today translates to the mayor was going to veto this thing. It would have been done forever. So now we're going to shelve it for now so we can bring it back later. This is a brief reprieve. Do not rest on your laurels. This thing will be back. Of course, Kashama Sawant is out there yelling and screaming about how it's evil, awful. She's no fool. She knows she can bring it back later. Tammy Morales, the other co-sponsor socialist of this bill, was very quiet for comment from the Seattle City Times. It's her first really big piece of legislation, and now it's not happening. So you got to ask yourself, what is she really doing over there? Big news day. Lots going on. So that just happened. Now let's skip ahead a little bit. Some of you may have heard the story about Shelly Luther. Shelly Luther owns a hair salon in Dallas. She operated against the order, even though the order was about to be lifted. A judge sentenced her to jail plus a fine. This became a national story. Just found out about an hour ago, Shelly Luther was released from jail. And Texas is pretty much opening up for business now, that means, because if they have no jail as penalty, they really don't have anything to scare business owners with. But here's something to think about for a second. Jay Inslee, governor of Washington State, uh, Governor Cuomo in New York, governors in California, they're all releasing prisoners left and right. They're releasing rapists and killers and felons and um, people who did assault. They're releasing them across the country. But now they want to threaten business owners with jail time, people who just want to help their families, feed their families, provide for their employees. They want to threaten them with jail time. 
This is absolutely insane logic. Who's considering this stupidity? Let's release people. Now, in Seattle, is not much of a difference because we have a revolving door of justice where they just keep releasing prolific offenders. So I ask, what's the difference between them releasing the guys in prison and what they're doing now? There really is no difference. And, of course, you keep seeing these stories of these guys have been out for a day and they reoffend again and again and again. This stupidity is spreading across the country. Then it gets a little bit worse. So we don't want you to turn in these prolific offenders, but we have these phone numbers for you to call if you see somebody operating a business illegally, if you see, which really means they're operating it against the governor's orders, even though they might be following the CDC guidelines like myself with regards to safety and social distancing and sanitizing and everything that is required. They're following that. But the governor, you know, hasn't decided to grace us with permission to operate our businesses. So last night, somebody sent me the Washington state, as I like to call it, the snitch list, the list of everybody who turned in their friends, their neighbors, their coworkers, their employers and businesses. Over 25,000 reports were on the version I saw. Here's something interesting. There's some interesting notes from this list. One person who is a political activist against gun stores pretty much just went on Google and Googled gun stores and went down the alphabetical list just reporting them whether they were open or not. That was interesting. I did find it entertaining the people reporting Planned Parenthood for operating or reporting the governor's office or other government agencies for operating. That was funny. There were a lot of jokes in there, but there's some stuff that's not very funny. A lot of .wa and .gov email addresses. Government employees are turning people in. I want you to think about that. That's happening in America. A lot of people are turning in their political rivals. A lot of people were turning in their business competitors. A lot of the reports said may have been or possibly were or I think I saw. This is what they've reduced us to. This is what they've turned us into, that we're turning on our neighbors, that we're reporting people left and right. What is this? What's going on here? I myself, I thought I was on it four times. I actually found a fifth one. Two of the people who reported me were actually people who just don't like me because of my politics. One of them stole yard signs during my campaign, admitted it on social media, and the other one is just a lunatic who rails on social media. Absolutely crazy. Absolutely, absolutely crazy. But the crazy continues. So... Washington State sends out these emails to retailers, to businesses, telling them, oh, here's what we're working on. Here's what we're doing. I got one the other day that was kind of in line with this, with the socialist idea, the socialist principle. It was that Washington State now has a plan for all the unemployed workers. We're going to give you government jobs responding to the COVID emergency. Hmm. So you're going to kill private business and replace it with government jobs. What does that sound like to you? Now, Mind you, if they said, hey, we're on a hiring thing or you want to exchange college for working for the government, I'm fine with that because then you have an option. You can go into the private sector or you can work for the government. Here, they're not giving you a choice. They destroyed your job, but now like the only jobs available are government ones. They're people who are going to be hiring. But here's something else. If they're in response to COVID crisis and Jay Inslee is planning on a vaccine being the only way out of this, then those jobs are temporary and they'll be gone soon. So they may be giving up whatever job they have or have hopes to go back to in order to take a government position that may not be there soon enough. But, you know, government workers, they never get fired. They just find new uses for them so they can grow government and grow it and grow it and grow it. I have a real problem with this. 
there's a whole lot more that I have a problem with. The other day, Jainsley, Governor Jainsley, gave another press conference where he discussed the way we're going to get out of this economically. He did not give any plan whatsoever. Instead, all he did was announce a bunch of social justice warriors, some of whom do not like me very much, who he put in charge of the economy. Now, mind you, here, who are these people? They're involved with the Civil Alliance. People in Seattle may know the Civil Alliance because they're the ones who started the Cape Pack. The Cape Pack is the one that pushed for every progressive, socialist, Marxist candidate to get elected. These are the people who elected Marxist Kashama Sawant, Tammy Morales, pushed for Sean Scott, who is a pretty much a communist. They want equity in our return to the economy. These are the people they put in charge of the economic recovery of Washington state. How do you think that's going to work out? You've heard about all this kind of stuff. I'm digging into a whole lot more, including the takings clause and how that applies to what they're doing with hotels and rent control and all this other insanity. But this stuff is spreading across the country. The socialist doctrine is being put into play under the guise of the coronavirus crisis. Don't say I didn't warn you. Coming up, we have two interviews, one with regard to this insanity with what's going on with rent control in Seattle. We have another one with regards to a gentleman who started a Facebook group that grew to thousands and thousands of followers to reopen Washington State, plus my hidden gems category and so much more coming up on the Canary in a Coal Mine podcast after a brief word from our sponsor. Welcome back to the Canary in a Coal Mine podcast. I am joined by Ryan Winfield, who is running a group on Facebook called Reopen Washington, advocating for the reopening of businesses across the state of Washington, especially given the fact that Governor Jay Inslee just put us into stay-at-home orders for another month. Ryan, thank you so much for being with us today. Ahari, thanks for having me. My pleasure. So what do you do full-time? What is your main occupation, and how did you get involved in this? Uh, I'm a writer. I write novels, mostly. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I got involved in this primarily because I was having conversations on my personal Facebook page regarding our state's, uh, what I saw as an overreaction to this virus in the form of its lockdown. And... uh, the friends that I was having these conversations with, we were just being shouted down by other people and shamed, you know, with the, you're trying to kill my grandmother and that kind of stuff wasn't particularly helpful to the discussion. So I founded this little group uh, where we could have these conversations without that. It kind of blew up uh, a little bit beyond my control. So you say I'm running this group, really, I started this group. It's taken on a life of its own that I don't know if I can take credit or responsibility for. I think it's very admirable that you have a job, you have a profession as a writer, you can stay home, you don't have to worry about any of this kind of stuff, you're going to get paid regardless, and you're out there advocating for others, and I think that's very admirable. Is there something that just flipped the switch that said, hey, I got to do this for you? Was there one incident? Well, you know, you're right in the sense that um, my wife and I really haven't been impacted by this at all, other than the way most people have. It hasn't affected us financially, it hasn't affected the way we work, we're fortunate to have a place on Whidbey Island. We also have a place in the city, but we we got out here for the stay home, stay healthy order. So, you know, life is pretty much going on out here on the island as it always has. But we have friends who their kids are not in school, their jobs, they've lost their jobs, their businesses are closing, may not ever reopen. And we're just seeing this happen. And it's just extremely frustrating. So it, it comes out of a concern for our friends, for family, but also just for the country at large. I'm the one of the reasons I do this podcast is tell everybody across the country what's happening here in Washington. It's called Canary in a Coal Mine because it's kind of like a warning of the bad policies that spread. I always look for the common sense solutions. Sure. If you were running the show, 
what would be an idea, basic ideas that perhaps you have thought about might be a more sensible way to open for some of these businesses? It's a good question. And first, I wouldn't want that job. Uh, and also, I, I need to disclose, I'm not a doctor. I'm not an epidemiologist. I do do research for a living uh, at, in uh, support of my career as a writer. Uh, but I think something much more along the lines of what Sweden has done or what some of these other countries have done in the form of taking a rational approach to protecting the citizens that we know are at risk now based on the data that has come in, those that are elderly, those with comorbidities, people in care homes, et cetera, but allowing the rest of the country to go to continue to work, letting kids to stay in school. Uh, almost all of the data shows now that kids are statistically at zero risk. Some of the studies coming out of places like Switzerland are showing children under 10 don't even carry or transmit the virus. So it just seems like our response has been a drastic overreaction. And I really have two fears, Ari, about this. One is that by the time we've tallied up all the long-term consequences of the economic destruction, we're talking, what, 33 million people unemployed in the country now, 800,000 in Washington alone. By the time we tally up the increase in suicides and drug overdoses and other poverty-related health disparities and deaths, all these uh, social detriments of health that people seem to be so concerned about before the virus and now they don't seem to care about it at all. By the time we tally those up, I think the cost will be greater than what the cost from this virus ever could have been. And then my second primary concern is that with the governor's response to this, with his lack of open discussion, of debate, uh, with his complete opacity about his decision-making process, I feel like there's been an erosion in trust in government. And if we are ever faced with a crisis that warrants this level of response, I don't know that people will listen to him or their government in general. So we may be eroding our ability to deal with a real crisis in the future. You know, your last point is one I haven't heard anybody bring up yet. I think you're the first one I've heard mention it. And that's very, very true that people are gonna be less inclined to listen next time, especially with the overreaction this time. I saw an article, I think it was in the Seattle Times this morning, talking about how death in other categories is down across the board. And a lot of people, I noticed New York, is counting death of other things in the corona numbers. And there's some major problems with the calculations. Washington State, for example, is not even tracking recoveries in a lot of counties. Right. So there's a lot of people starting to question this kind of stuff. So I appreciate everything you're doing. One of the things that bothers me is that people like me, like you, who are doing everything responsibly, operating responsibly, are being called names and said, oh, we want people to die, just because we have a different point of view and we're trying to think of the economic impact of this kind of stuff. And it's a little ridiculous to me that people would continue saying that about people like us. Well, it is very frustrating. It's not helpful. It, it seems to be some kind of statement that just allows them to feel good about themselves. You know, people try and make this an argument about lives versus money. And they make these statements about one death is too many. And, you know, the economy is not worth letting elderly people die. But this is not an argument about life versus money. It's an argument about lives versus lives. And the thing, Ari, that's interesting is the relationship between an increase in suicide and drug overdose and all of these other poverty-related uh, health issues, those have been studied for decades. And they're much, more, they're much easier to model accurately than any of the models for this virus have proven to be so far. And no one is modeling those and putting them on the other side of the scale to decide whether our response is doing more good than harm, or at least the least amount of harm. Certainly Jay Inslee hasn't presented that. I mean, we have 800,000 people out of work in this state. Where is the UW model showing 
what the increase in death and poverty related uh, social detriments of health are going to be for, from that in the long term so that he can show Washingtonians this is the cost of the measures we're taking and these are the lives it will save and this is why it's worth it. And that lack of transparency and open debate, I think, is what has people really frustrated. And then you add to that some of these measures just make no sense scientifically. Boating's legal, fishing's not. You can't close the state parks. You can't hike outdoor, even though there's no evidence of outdoor transmission. These kind of things have people questioning their government and his response. So I completely agree. I lost family. I mean, I wasn't born yet, obviously, but my grandfather lost family during the Depression in the tenements of Manhattan. And I often bring up, somebody was arguing with me on my social media the other day, because, you know, people always win social media arguments. Um, and they were bringing up the other day, they sa I said, how many people died during the Depression? And they said, well, it was only this many. And I said, and how many Americans were there at the time? And the ratio was actually higher than what it is now, right. assuming their numbers were correct. Ryan, I really appreciate you being with us. If people want to find out more about you or about the group, what's the best way for them to do that? Well, the best way to find the group is uh, if you go on to Facebook, it's Reopen WA. So it's uh, Reopen and then WA, that'll find the group. And then I've got a kind of a statement of the group's purpose and, and the, the basic easy to follow rules linked at the top of the page. So you can find me that way. Uh, and then, you know, join the conversation. The more people that we get, uh, hopefully the more pressure we can put on Olympia to get the state back open and take some reasonable measures to take care of our elderly population and put this thing behind us. I hope we can get it done. Ryan, thanks so much for your time. Best of luck. Yeah, you bet. Thanks for everything you're doing. Okay, thank you. Yeah. Welcome back to the Canary in the Coal Mine podcast. I am joined today by Roger Valdez, who is in charge of the Seattle for Growth organization. And we're going to discuss Seattle's interesting idea to expand the ban on evictions for what is it now? Up to almost a year, I think, eight months, 11 months, and the ramifications that could have on our economy. Roger, thanks so much for being with us. Oh, thanks for having me, Ari. So can you explain this to the people who may not know this? I'm in real estate. You obviously work with this kind of stuff. What is your biggest concern with the eviction ban? The biggest concern is the message that it sends to hard-pressed families and households in the city and in the state um, that if you're looking at paying your rent or paying some other pressing financial obligation, um, that you should possibly not pay your rent. And it's really important to emphasize that uh, in general, we're not looking at, at saying that people who are um, residents of, of rental housing are bad people and somehow want to stiff their, their uh, housing provider. But it's, it, we're more concerned about the marginal households that are faced with income problems who, like any human being, is going to look at a, an eviction ban uh, as, a, as a, you know, it's a no consequence loan, essentially. Um, they're going to build up two or three months of, of back rent. And then when income starts flowing again or whatever, they're going to be sitting on $1,800, $2,700, dollars worth of back rent that they can't pay. So the problem, uh, we're not worried about people who have jobs at Amazon or Andrew Lewis, who's a council member. But we're, we're concerned about those households that are struggling to make ends meet. And the state and the city are saying, don't pay your rent. You don't have to worry about that. Well, what I'm worried about is also is that somebody has to pay the mortgage eventually. And banks have been very understanding and helpful for the most part. There have been some issues with one or two in working that out. But somebody has to pay that bill. And what happens is if a house gets foreclosed on, and let's say I'm renting out a second property I have that, and I'm a retiree, and that's my main source of income, and the person gets 
foreclosed on, that means their tenant gets kicked out and loses the house anyway when the bank puts it up for sale. Yeah, what, what the council has done is they've, they've set a, a time bomb for late summer, early fall for foreclosures, for tax defaults, um, for huge uh, delinquencies built up. Um, and, and again, it, it's, uh, it, it's, it's really irresponsible um, to sort of signal to people that a key financial obligation they have is something they don't have to worry about. Um, and then when the attorney general starts suing anybody who tries to explain to a resident exactly what might happen in the future, um, that doesn't, that, that just is a chilling effect through the communication lines between housing providers and their, and their residents. And so what we're seeing again is people are hunkering down, afraid to talk to their housing provider, afraid to talk to their residents for fear of getting sued by Bob Ferguson. And, and the confusion is growing about what this really means and what, what the impact will be. Um, the example that we use is if, if COVID-19 hit and, and people said, I lost my job, I'm having trouble putting food on the table, I, I can't feed my kids. And the response of the city council was to suspend uh, shoplifting laws. Everybody would be like, what? Like that just doesn't make any sense, it's stupid. Um, that would mean the signal would be go to the grocery store, fill your shopping cart and just walk out, load your car and drive away. That's what the city council has done. They have well, no they've, they've technically done that already with Seattle downtown. They've said that with regards to crime stats, but that's a whole other story. Right. But, it, but I mean, these people are in a, uh, a, a bubble with no access to reality. And so when they make these kinds of decisions, it's in complete disregard for Hey, wait a minute. Like, should, let's think this through for a second. What what signal is this sending to the to the market? And had we been talked to, and folks that know the business would have said, "Hey, we're not evicting anybody. This is a terrible time. We're trying to figure out how people are going to make it. We want people to get their unemployment benefits. Let's all go to Olympia and tell the governor to speed those up." You know, we wouldn't. We would have never done the eviction ban, and there would be a bunch of people who would have just paid their rent. Um, but now we're seeing that elective non-payer, we call it the ENPs, elective non-payers, people that can pay but that aren't, that is growing. And uh, one housing provider said that it's like, you know, about 12% delinquencies at the end of April and about half of those were people that had income. So, so this is what the council has sort of lit the fuse on. And um, it isn't just mortgages, it's property tax, utilities, maintenance and operations groundskeeping crews um, that will get laid off when, you know, providers can't pay for those services because rent's not coming in. So it's, it's a tremendously uh, hazardous road that we're on uh, right now with this whole problem. There's something that we like to do on this show that I like to do on my social media is always come up for solutions, other ideas for the problems. So some that I've worked on, some that I've experienced is I said to some of my tenants, hey, um, first month, last month, you usually give us an advance. We'll get rid of that right now. We'll use that to pay your rent for the next couple months. That'll give you a little bit of cushion. That one has shown some success. I got that from a friend of mine. Another idea was potentially using housing vouchers to give them to people who actually can't afford to pay their rent and using that to pay landlords. Another one was saying to the landlord, hey, this guy doesn't qualify for vouchers, or whatever the case may be. Can you give them a property tax break or some kind of tax credit to offset the money they're not getting right now? It doesn't seem like council is interested in any of those common sense ideas. Are there any others that you guys have come up with that you think may work in this situation? 
Well, I think you're, you're doing what any, you know, person that runs a business is going to do uh, with their customers, which is try to keep them. And when this thing's over with, you don't want to have a vacancy and a, and a, and a bunch of back rent. Um, what we've proposed consistently is let the eviction bans expire. So just don't keep renewing them, let them expire. Um, second, let's assess what the delinquencies are right now. And the, to the degree that we can use federal and state dollars to buy some of those down, we should and prioritize that so that people aren't staring a big bill in the face at the end of this problem or at the end of the summer. And then the other thing is write down, as you suggested, property taxes. Um, and our county assessor, John Wilson, has really uh, been helpful and supportive and understanding of this issue and is working on tax relief, property tax relief right now. So I think you, you look at the delinquency and you try to solve as much of that as you possibly can. I think people like you and others are gonna say, hey, I'm gonna lose a little, I'm gonna lose some money through this whole thing. I just wanna come out in one piece at the other end. And then going forward, develop an insurance product or an insurance program so that if there's another outbreak or another round of layoffs in the future, just like unemployment, people just apply and say, I lost my job, and then rent would be paid um, you know, for the following two or three months uh, until the person found income or a job. And that way, the pipeline of, of resource goes directly to the source of the problem rather than building up a big balance. Um, I think that those ideas are, are reasonable. The concerns that I have are that the more money we take from the government, the more likely they are to start dictating what you do as a business person. So we need to be very careful and vigilant about that. But I think um, those, those are kind of the ideas that we're pushing right now with the governor, who, who's actually been listening, the staff have been. So, you know, that's kind of where we are today. I, my big concern is the government's going to wind up with a lot of rental housing at, at the end of this, which is what people like Shama Samwant really want anyway. Um, and they're agitating and doing everything they can to, to use this to disrupt the sector and eventually let it all fall into the hands of the government one way or another. Well, what I'm also concerned about is that landlords are going to start jacking up their rental rates because they're going to assume from now on that they're not going to get paid that they have to have a cushion in case something like this happens again to get them through the downturn. So they're going to add that into their ongoing maintenance rent costs. And that what you're going to see at the end of this is an explosion of the rates jumping higher because people are so worried about that. Are you guys worried about something similar like that? Oh yeah, no, we're, what's going to happen if this is, if we're, our slide is not arrested is that we're going into a place where the risk to operate rental housing is going to be, huge. It's going to be like, you know, running a casino. And the only thing you're going to be able to do is raise prices. Now, if, if we get rent control, which we're likely to get um, at this point, if the special session is convened, you're not even going to be able to do that. So you're going to be looking at, you can't screen people at the front end because for criminal background, credit checks, a whole bunch of other things that are on the table. And then once the person's in the, in the unit, you can't, you can't adjust the rent to compensate for your increased risk. And then when you want to remove them because they stop paying the rent, you're not going to be able to evict them. So that's where we're headed. And that's my big concern, even before this whole COVID-19 thing is that this kind of asymmetrical socialist attack on private rental housing is going to result in essentially lots of people selling their, their rental housing, right? Uh, turning into owner occupied, 
um, or simply just giving up and walking away and saying, here, uh, Salwan, here's the keys, you run my, you run the housing. And so that's where, that's where we're headed. And I'm hoping that we can just take a step back from that, that precipice and say, Let, let's, let's be rational here because what you're going to have is less housing, right? Still have demand, higher prices. And the only people that can absorb the risk are Amley and Holland and Vulcan and big companies. And people like you will be like, I'm not doing this anymore. It's too, too risky. Um, and so people that like you that are willing to work out a deal will no longer be around to offer housing. And that, that would be not only a tragedy, it would be disastrous for poor people in this city and in this state. And that's the, uh, ironically, that's the people that people like Tammy Morales are always saying they want to help. And she's doing everything she can to make their lives worse because you know what happens when life gets worse for poor people, she gets to say that capitalism doesn't work. Vote for me again. So these people are profiteering off of poverty and creating just a perpetual motion machine of inflation and pain for people that are poor and it keeps them in power. So anyway, I, I get frustrated because I get calls all day long from small business people saying, what are we going to do about this? What's going on at city hall? They've lost their minds. And so, I'm just kind of channeling that frustration. I'm right there with you. I completely understand. Tabby Morales actually owns a million dollar mansion that she bought, which has a rental unit inside of it that is either being illegally rented or not rented at all. So let's talk about, you know, we can talk about that all day long and the hypocrisy with these elected officials. This has been very, you know, it's nice to know that other people are going through the same thing I am. It's nice to know that they're having the same problem. It's nice to know that everybody's worried about this. So people want to find out more about you and your organization. What's the best way for them to do that? Well, they can go to seattleforgrowth.org. It's just uh, Seattle and then the word for, F-O-R, uh, growth.org. And uh, you can also just Google my name, Roger Valdez uh, and Forbes. And that is where my uh, Forbes posts are. Um, I have a regular regular posting at Forbes. And, um, and, and if you go to uh, our web, seattleforgrowth.org, you'll see a place you can uh, you can send a message to the mayor to urge her to veto the extension of the ban. I don't think she's going to do that, but it helps to have a lot of messages so she knows that, they, that we're out here. And that, that's, uh, that's the best way. Well, I'll tell you one more thing is that if this thing ever goes to court, you need a plaintiff. You guys call me. I'm, I'm there for it, 100%. <laughs> we, we may need that because very few people want to put their name on. A, a, I've heard it, in fact, just today. People, people that are relatively large property owners are afraid of vandalism, afraid of, you know, being harassed in public and, and, you know, to the extent we're in public, but they're worried about their names being associated with any protest at all. So yeah, we may, we may be doing that. Yeah. If one Google search of me, will show you what I put up with. So I'm willing to be the pin cushion for everybody. Roger, thank you so much for being with us. I really appreciate it. And best of luck to you and your efforts. Yeah, thanks for having me. Welcome back to the Canary in a Coal Mine podcast. Remember that if you're enjoying the podcast, to like it, to share it, to subscribe to it. And if you don't like the podcast, you should share it with all your friends and tell them how awful I am and how horrible I am. Because every time you do that, I get a lot more listeners. It's really awesome. You should continue to do that. Anyway. I want to discuss the movie on Netflix, Extraction, starring Chris Hemsworth. This thing is awesome. Take Taken, 
take the latest Rambo movie and take 1917 and that's what you got. It's pretty much the usual story. Action hero, down on his luck, living in the middle of nowhere, has to save the day. What's different about this, it is almost go, go, go from start to finish. There's a little bit at the beginning that gets kind of slow, but it just goes and it goes and it goes. But something that stand out, the cinematography is amazing. It's a lot of those continuous shots that you saw in the movie 1917 that make it more unique. I wish I could have seen this movie in the theaters. This is a theater movie. So if you're watching it at home, do not watch it on a laptop. Watch it if you have a surround sound system, if you have a big media screen, something like that. Watch it on that because this is a movie that deserves that. I highly recommend Extraction on Netflix. You should check it out. And it's great. So I think it's fantastic. So not much else to say. Nothing to warn you about in the Hidden Gems category this week. We will be back soon enough. I have my bartending videos that I'm going to keep doing online just because they're fun and we have some fun political discussions. Somebody noted that they end anytime I get to the bottom of my drink. So you can see how much looser I get over the course of these things. Anywho, until then, I'm not going to stay, say stay safe and stay healthy anymore because that's just ridiculous. Until then, go outside. Go back to doing what you're doing. Try to resume life as normal. And here's something else. Say hi to people. Don't be the guy who jumps into the bushes to get away from people as this whole thing is going on. No, it's only creating more and more fear. Wave. Say hi. You don't have to stand next to him. Just wave and say hi. Be personable. Be social. Let's try and get things back to normal. We'll see you next time.